This is the Macworld Podcast, episode 508 for May 18th, 2016. Welcome back to the Macworld Podcast, folks. I'm Glenn Fleischman, a senior contributor at Macworld, and joining me, as she does nearly every week, is the executive editor of Macworld, Susie Oaks. Hello, Susie. Hey, Glenn. What's up? Oh, lots of things. Lots of things. Busy. <laughs> Strangely busy week. Last week, we were in the doldrums, and uh, and to help us decode some of the news that's happened this week, uh, we've invited on Kirk McElhern, who's the Macworld iTunes guy. Hello, Kirk. Hi, Glenn. Hi, Susie. How are you? Excellent. Great. Kirk is calling in from hours in the future. What is the future like? Tell us. Uh, the, the future is pretty similar, but the weather's probably... Well, actually, you're in <laughs> Portland or Seattle, you guys, aren't you? So the weather might be better over here in England. Well, I'm, I'm in Seattle and it's gorgeous today. So uh, okay, who, go figure. Go figure. Yeah. I'm uh, in Oakland and it's supposed to be like 80 today. Oh, no. Ouch. Ugh, okay. East Bay. Um, well, we can't, we can't do anything about global warming, but we do know something that sucks the oxygen from the room. <gasps> My transition. Um, uh, Susie and I have been, uh, folks who are regular listeners know that Susie and I have been laughing at a mobile payment technology called Current C from uh, the group, I think it's called MCX, that, uh, that developed it. And it was a consortium of a bunch of retailers. And they started it before the wave of touchless, uh, you know, uh, near-field contact NFC mobile payment that's in uh, Apple Pay, Samsung Pay, and uh, Google Pay, Android Pay, rather. And um, so, Susie, hey, <laughs> some, the latest bad news for uh, currency. Um, I can't stop chortling. I'm sorry. Yeah, this is sad because, I mean, it's well, been one, one of our favorite punching bags here on the Macworld podcast. And they put out this release saying that, you know, they're going to they're gonna postpone the nationwide rollouts. Um, because there's a lot of other services now, but um, and it's going to shift to it's going to kind of pivot, as they say, in the startup land to working with uh, banks instead of, um, you know, trying to be a point of sale service. But then in the same press release, they mentioned, you know, they made me think of the poor employees. They mentioned that I also have to have a layoff because of uh, because of this pivot. So they laid off 30 people. And that's sad. I want to point and laugh at them, but I'm bummed that people get lost their jobs. Yeah, I refuse to laugh at people losing their jobs. <laughs> However, the thing is, mobile payment industry is hot. I am assuming those 30 people, despite having worked for MCX, probably have job offers or can get them because they've been working in a super hot space in which there's not a lot of expertise because it's being built. So That's true. One hopes they will be able to get... Uh, even better jobs for uh, organizations that are moving forward instead of the past. <laughs> that the, are the re- doing things and shipping products. <laughs> yeah, we, we uh, you and I have been laughing at them for a long time because MCX's system currency required, you know, you have to use an app. You have to you link your checking account. You have to scan a QR code on a point of sale register and you'd lose the protections that you have with um, credit cards because this is a direct debit from your credit account and it's much more co- or cre- uh, sorry checking account it's much more complicated to work out in the United States uh, other countries do a lot more um, debit work I have a friend in Slovenia who said uh, uh, almost all transactions are credit card uh, sorry checking account withdrawal and debit based but as a result they have a different set of protections because that's sort of how the economy functions and if people were getting subjected to massive fraud or retailer problems or messing it up, the economy would collapse. So here we're so credit card based and checking accounts have fewer protections when you authorize direct uh, withdrawals. So Yeah. And there there wasn't as much privacy protections either, which is starting to matter to people. I mean, for, you know, nerds like us, we've been talking about this stuff for a while, but like regular people are starting to, you know, pay attention um, with all these breaches that have happened. So 
Yeah, they just kind of got leapfrogged by by other technologies while they were still, you know, testing their weird sounding products. So yeah, I uh, guess it's not going to happen now. I'll point out that uh, that Tim Cook, uh, the last time he talked about Apple Pay, just a couple of weeks ago, he I think he mentioned. Was that when it was that they're at 2 million point of sales? They keep increasing. There's something like nine. Well, the numbers vary, but there's somewhere maybe in the 10 million range, let's say to be clear, um, point of sale locations that accept, uh, so retail locations that accept credit cards. And that includes, uh, you know, stores and um, even some non-traditional outlets, um, as well as like gas uh, stations, not every um, reader at a gas station, but the gas station as a whole. And Apple originally had gotten to the hundreds of thousands of levels, and they kind of moved past a million. So they're slowly creeping into more and more places that will take NFC. And that's part of the transition as uh, retail locations are still in the transition to take chip and pin cards um, and chip and sign cards. And uh, Kirk knows a lot about that because you're in the UK, which pioneered uh, using chip and pin, uh, uh, which is not what we're doing here pretty much. Um, like 15 years ago, chip and pin entered uh, UK. You were in France for a number of years. Now you're in, in England. Have you? Um, how do you see people use cards there differently? How do merchants deal? Is it, is it just like part of the the process and nobody thinks about it twice? Pretty much everyone uses debit cards. You can also use credit cards. But as you were saying earlier, that there's probably additional protection on debit cards. Um, chip and pin was actually invented in France, I think, in the 1990s. And it rolled out around Europe through the, I guess it was the sort of the the visa group um and it's incredibly you know everything's mm-hmm. chip and pin over here it, it's interesting you guys went to chip and shrug um with your new cards and my, my friend rob griffiths came over for a visit last month and we went for lunch to a pub and he paid for the meal with his chip and shrug card and he had to sign it and the people were looking like they'd seen it before, yeah. but it's just weird to do that when you when you have a security system that is relatively reliable, the chip and pin system. Oh yeah, no, it's funny because and I'd heard from when the, when we were starting to move towards uh, chip and sign, chip and shrug. I like that chip and shrug option here. Uh, I'd heard from Europeans who would read me. I'd tweet about it or I'd write about it, and they'd say, "No, no, no, you're wrong." You'll have to use a pin. I'm like, no, you're just going to be able to sign. They said, our systems don't support it. And I talked to some payment experts who said, yeah, it's going to be really confusing because merchants in Europe, their providers are going to be upgrading their systems, but some won't and some will. There's the issue of kiosks. For a while, uh, kiosks uh, kiosks that accepted chip and pin across uh, Europe did not accept chip and sign. There was no mechanism to not put in a pin. So if you had a chip card for Europe, they would tell you get a you'd have to call your bank and get a special pin that would only work and it was this mess. Um, what I what I heard from talking to an analyst is chip, the chip part solves most of the counterfeiting because it's you can still counterfeit chips, but it's very very complex compared to um, counterfeiting uh, just the swipe part. And every place still takes swipe. So the fact is, you know, basically you can still counterfeit cards and until that really closes down. The pin part was to solve a different part, which was like. Uh, theft and impersonation. So somebody uh, could steal your card. Yeah, you could steal a card and without the pin, you can use it. That remains a problem in America. But it turns out that the percentage of transactions in which that occurs um, is very low compared to counterfeiting. So the banks here said uh, it was, they. I think they tested this and it turned out nobody wanted to enter a pin despite 
people using ATMs here, right? Well, you know, we, yeah, you know why? I, I mean, it's because like our debit cards, you can use it two ways at the point of right, sale. You right. can use it as a debit card and then you enter a PIN and it goes through the ATM system. So you don't get the visa protections. It hits your checking account right away. Or you can choose credit and sign it. It still hits your checking account right away, but it goes through the visa system and you get the visa protections and stuff. So they could go to chip and PIN for that system but people would be confused because they're used to like pin means I'm, you know, using the debit function and signing means I'm using the credit function. And yeah, there's always been a choice. And now if the choice is like, if they still have the debit or credit choice, but you enter a pin either way, people are going to be confused. They're going to hold up the line. I'm going to get really annoyed. (laughs) Well, and you're right. You know, ATM, one reason that ATMs haven't been, I noticed I didn't say ATM machine or ISBN number. Um, ATMs haven't been updated (laughs) in in America yet. There's a move afoot. At some point that'll happen. The pin, as you know, the pin for your debit account like your ATM pin is not the same as the chip and pin pin. So if they give oh, you a pin. Oh, it can be two pins. That's pin true. Pin. Yes. I know. It could be so, two pins. Uh, and yeah. then, then all hell breaks loose. This is why Cats mobile and dogs living together. Mobile payment yeah. is easier when you just tap. That's the other thing. The, the chip thing. in the chip, the chip readers, the, all the PO, uh, terminals going to chip readers has made Apple pay better in the places it exists. I have noticed that it's rolling out in more places that I visit, like smaller, markets, you know, kind of produce market down the street from my office where I get my salad. All those places are going Apple Pay, which is awesome because now when you have to stick your card in that chip reader, it takes an hour for it to like <laughs> read your card. It takes so long. It doesn't take an hour. But Apple Pay just went from fast to like it feels so much faster. So I'm using it everywhere I can use it now because it's just like the chip and the chip reader is are also slow. So who wrote the article recently about that that said they timed – oh, it was Brian uh, X. Chan at the New York Times. He went through and timed this and talked to all the different system operators. And the thing is, Apple Pay doesn't take any less time, but the time is hidden because we're able to do other stuff. With the, with the chip card, when you stick it in, you have to first get it in and then wait for the entire transaction with it in the device. But he said he timed it, and it's practically – like from end to end, it's practically the same amount of time, but it, it feels, feels painless. Slower. And then it makes that it makes this like beep when you have to take it out. It goes ur, ur, and it's not like a, <laughs> I'm finished, like nice ding. Like it sounds like you did something wrong, uh, even though like the the sound is to signify like you're done. You can take your card, and they make it annoying so you don't like walk away and forget your hilarious. card. But it's just it's so weird. Like it sounds like you've done something wrong every time. I I don't understand this. So I'm used to the system where you stick your card in and you enter your pin. You you stick your card in, you wait 15 seconds for the reader to connect, you enter your pin, you wait 10 seconds, and then you pull the card out, and that's it, it's done. I just don't, I don't get the whole, so when Apple Pay was announced, and and Tim Cook was up on stage talking about how long it takes to get your card out and pay, I was just surprised. I I couldn't imagine (laughs) that you, that American, I was going to say you guys, since I'm still American, but I've lived abroad for so long, that you're so worried about the 30 seconds it takes to pay with a card. So I didn't realize Time is money. But it's the the merchants who are more concerned about it because the merchants, you know, throughput reduces uh, sales and makes people irritated and they blame the merchant, not the system. So it's- uh, Yeah, you you see like four people in line and you're like, oh, I'm not going to buy this. Yeah, and it's also, (laughs) the the retraining was pretty severe because if you pull the, because we don't enter our pin, people don't have to wait for something to happen. They stick it in, they think they can pull it out like swiping we weren't trained to wait 
Uh, so people put in, they pull it out. Then the transaction has to be canceled and restarted. But Visa apparently has some new software that's going to trim like several seconds off it. Um, I'm sure it's going to get better. Yeah, but it's still- basically the software we use over here. Exactly. They're bringing over there. <laughs> just, just, just to come back to the fraud thing, I think yeah. it's kind of interesting what you were saying about the chip and the pin and the signature. Um, so we have the chip and the pin, but the kind of fraud that they have here, and Glenn, I'm sure you've heard of these things. They put these skimmers on ATM oh, machines. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's able to read the chip and the card. And then they get someone like on the third floor of a building across the street with binoculars to yeah, watch yeah. people putting the pin in. No way. Oh, man. One big difference here is that if you're in a, a store or a restaurant or anything like that, your card never leaves your site. So yeah, they, they bring, bring the little thing to you. They bring the reader I love it. to your ah. table. And you pay for it then. So the card doesn't go away to be skimmed. So there's no fraud with that. So the, the, on, the only real fraud you have to worry about is my partner's elderly mother who had written her pin on a post-it <laughs> oh, no. um, yep, or the yep. skimmer on the ATM machine. And they regularly show on TV, on the news, what the skimmers look like. So you pay attention. Oh, yeah. If you're interested in skimmers, uh, go to Brian Krebs, K-R-E-B-S, former Washington Post reporter who writes Krebs on security. He is... Uh, so on top of this that like the Soviet uh, like or like Russian and Moldo- Moldavian uh, 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 hackers like send him heroin and call the police to try to swat him. Um, <laughs> oh my that's right. Yeah, they, yeah. They, someone set him up six months ago or something. Yeah, I remember he, that. Luckily, he got tipped, and he's this local police know that if they get a SWAT call, that they need to check in with him first. Um, but he wrote recently about a new category of skimmer that actually uh, it's a one way thing. It gets forced into the slot so it's invisible from the outside it's got like a spring-loaded thing so and it's got cellular in it or like short-range wireless and a camera stuck nearby that's so small no one can see it and when it stops working like the slot gets jammed eventually the criminals are always waiting nearby they grab the camera and go and the thing itself has no information in it but then they have to repair the atm uh, wow. All right, wow. we become, we become a payment vertical, as they say here. But um, it's interesting. I mean, this is why mobile pay, like not having to put your card in somewhere, not having to do it, and the encryption of something like Apple Pay, Samsung Pay, Android Pay. This is, you know, this is great. It's it's better for you as a customer, as a user of the technology. If I can just throw a little bit of negative sauce on it, of course. Um, <laughs> I I have never used Apple Pay. When I got my iPhone 6s, or my, no, sorry, my iPhone six. I added my credit card to the iPhone for Apple Pay. Two days later, I had three fraudulent charges that what? were made from the Apple online store. Whoa. Whoa. Now, the only way these charges would have could have been put through is if someone in the store accessed my account and knew my address, knew the CVV number, um, because the checks here, when you pay online, the name and the address and all that has to match. That's so Apple weird, was though. never able to say anything to me. They said, we will cooperate with the police if you file a complaint, but they were never able to say anything. So I simply don't trust Apple Pay. That's, you know, what's bizarre about that is from everyone I've talked to who uh, knows something about how the system works, including our good friend, Rich Mogul, who's deep into that, um, the credit card information, Apple doesn't touch it. It's passed to the bank. So they should never have seen yeah, it. I don't want to say it's, I mean, I don't want to say it's coincidence because um, that's a little too close for comfort. I've had my number stolen, an Amex number and a Visa number stolen online from who knows where uh, once each in the last few months and had to replace everything. And um, it's, I think there's so much personal information leaking around out there now. I can't believe we haven't switched. I mean, Apple's talking about, uh, we've heard rumors rather that Apple's going to launch uh, some kind of Apple Pay via uh websites, right? Or it's going to be a, a more comprehensive system outside of using it just on the phone. And I think that's going to 
I know, but if you don't trust it, I understand why See, you don't trust it. I would it. trust that. I, I would actually trust that more. The, the thing about the, the fraud that happened to me is someone ordered an iPhone, paid for a repair, yeah. and had them sent to a different address. So the name and address didn't match, and Apple had the name and address. So that they could so have weird. found the, peop, the, the person who did this. Well, anybody listening, <laughs> sending yeah, your they ideas, won't admit it. What, is, what happened to Kurt's card number? Because that, that literally shouldn't happen based the way the system works, and I, yeah. I'm fascinated. And, and there's one other limitation to, to, to any NFC payment over here. It's limited to 30 pounds. Oh, right, but that's... Uh, oh, yeah. Wait, no. And I think can, only three times a day you can use it, something like that. Can you, if it's more than 30 pounds, so you just have to sign instead of use the pin, or there's no Well, then no you way would do... just do the chip and pin. Then you do the chip but, and pin. Interesting. So, so I've, had, I've had a contactless card for about three years. Yeah. And I could, I've never used it, but I could use it on contactless terminals, but there is a limit. Mm-hmm. So they just want people to use it for like little purchases, like the Sandwiches train tickets. And coffee. And, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. fascinating. To keep, keep I the line I moving. Just... But if you're buying like a TV, they'd rather you use. Well, remember that we we do have the contactless card and there is absolutely no verification for that. So right. if you do lose your card, someone can go swiping in, you know, Marks and Spencer and Starbucks and all that, which is why they've limited the, the amount and oh, the number okay. of times you can use it. Wait, right. so help me understand this. So wait a second. So if you have the contactless card, there's no PIN with that, and that's a simpler transaction, but the Apple Pay is treated the same as a contactless card? Just yes, because it's because all NFC payment. It's all oh, NFC. So I see. So, so I, I even, knew there was some... even if Apple Pay is more secure, it's still considered to be the same NFC. Interesting. Uh, all right. Well, let's let's we'll get out of the payment morass, but it is very interesting, and I, I love to get the insight from people in other countries because uh, we have such a monoculture here. Uh, it's super interesting. So, uh, you know, I, I'm an occasional user of Twitter. Every once in a while, <laughs> every week or two, I fire off a tweet or so. Did you and, wind uh, up breaking your your crazy, what was your ceiling? 400,000. I don't want to know what I'm at now. I, I raised money for a, for a charity I won't mention here because I don't want to bring up political issues. Uh, <laughs> but I raised a few thousand dollars. I auctioned off my 400,000 well, Now you're at 413. Uh, let's, let's pretend that didn't happen. That was and, just uh, <laughs> a little while ago, Glenn. Wow. <laughs> when I get to half a million, we'll do something. It's, that's carousel, and I get taken up into the big uh, red sky. That'll be next year. Oh, uh, So Twitter, so to my advantage, uh, Twitter is discussing, apparently, uh, removing counting uh, links and images against the 140-character limit, which seems to me a little better than their, hey, you can be able to post things of any length. Uh, this is um, This will... Take this is a non- totally reasonable idea yeah, from Twitter. I'm so proud out. of them mm-hmm. for like coming up with something. I mean, like you know, people have been saying, "Hey, why don't you do this for a while?" So, but yeah, good, good job. I like if that. they do it, like the the article was like, sources say they could do it within two weeks. So it might have been like they're testing the waters and mm-hmm. see if everyone freaks out, then they'll be like, "Oh no, we never said that." And well, I've but, looked at Twitter's yeah. API, and I think they already structure uh, URLs, and um, I think they already have metadata for URLs and photos. I, mean, I know they do for photos in, in such a way that they're associated with the tweet as a separate thing. So mm-hmm. I don't think it's a big deal for them. They just have to mark a position in line or do something. Maybe the URL will no longer be able to be in the middle of a line or who knows what. Or maybe there's only one URL that counts doesn't count towards the limit in each message, but uh, – Oh good. yeah, I still wouldn't want to see tweets with like you know eighteen pictures attached to them. But no, they let you do four now. Um, yeah, that's good. Four the related, is good. The related thing is I, when they were talking about lengthening tweets, I realized you know when uh, um, who's in charge of Twitter now? I can't remember. It's Jack, right? <laughs> that's not terrible. <laughs> Jack. Yeah. So uh, Jack Dorsey uh, said, um, you know, actually, we're not going to just make it longer. 
we let people right now, people do tweet shotting where you take a picture of longer yeah. text or whatever, and there's tweet longer. He's like, it's going to, sounds like it'll be implemented more like you'll have a regular tweet and the text will be presented in a fashion that people can see, but it won't suddenly be some tweets will be books length and some will be short. Sure. Yeah. Cool you wouldn't too. just be scrolling past like paragraphs and paragraphs yeah. of tweets. Um, I think the one thing they should do is not count usernames as well, because yeah, when yeah. you get into a conversation with four other people, you yeah. only have like 30 characters for each tweet. Yeah. And then someone else is like, hey, guys. And you're like, I can't even reply to you right now because I don't have any letters left. So to those who are not Twitter, Twitter senti, that mean those are called canoes when you're stuck with a bunch of other people. Whether you want to or <laughs> I didn't not. know that. And I've been uh, I've been uh, lobbying for years. They need to have uh, what I call a, a a way to sink the canoe. So, you know, in those cartoons, when somebody there's always somebody in a canoe or a, or a, a raft or something and they take one of those bits, um, drill and bits thing where you hold it down and you turn your arm around really fast. And then, um, the rest of the boat stays in place and they fall down or they fall through and the rest of the boat stays in place. It's always a little joke. I'm like, I want one of those. I want to be able to drill through the bottom of the canoe and I'll sink and let the boat stand. You guys can all talk without me. Just, yeah. Like an ejector seat. You're like, tag me out. Um, yeah. The, the same, the same way you can get out of a messages conversation, right? Yeah. 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 That's exactly. Yeah. Untag me, please. Let me leave. Cause sometimes you get in a conversation and then, and then you get some, Prolific tweeter, I won't mention any names, uh, who, who answers 25 <laughs> times and your, your stream is full of responses from this person. No, but the, the, the prolific tweeter on this podcast, his tweets are interesting. There's just a lot of them. Yes. That was an excellent save. Good work. Uh, <laughs> that's right. It's uh, uh, it's um, the opposite of the old joke, which is which is such good food, yes, in such huge portions or something. I don't such know. terrible food in such tiny portions. Exactly. Exactly. That's one of my favorite jokes. It, it took me a while to come to terms. I think I followed you and unfollowed you like a few times before oh, I, I was understand. finally like all in. <laughs> no, I've been saying for years also, that Twitter is doing machine learning work on everything. We know they are because they're making some actions. Like if you are a verified, you have a verified account with Twitter, which is still an arbitrary thing to achieve, um, you can turn on an option that says that says literally um, something like remove low quality tweets. <laughs> and it uses a variety of machine learning to determine what that is. And so it's language, it's number of followers, it's the tone of the message. They're already doing this. I want them to do like a Bayesian frequency uh, thing. So you could say, give me Glenn's most interesting or tweets that are closest to the things that I favorite. And then you would see a subset of my tweets. You wouldn't see all of them. I think that would make everyone happier. <laughs> so like a Facebook yeah, timeline of Glenn's User tweets. by user instead of on your whole timeline. So you could follow yeah, people who are prolific. You could get like a newsletter. Like, you know how they right. have the, that awesome analytics page for for your own account. You mm -hmm. can see like your engagement on each tweet. Yes. And like, yes. and it's fascinating and you can fall into quite the rabbit hole of like, you know, patting yourself on the back. But it would be cool if you could roll up, you know, like your best of or whatever. And that could be like a thing that you could embed on your blog or people could subscribe to it or whatever. I don't know. Like Also, another, another tip for listeners. Do you know that you can disable retweets on other people's accounts for you? So if some, some people have told me, hey, yep. dude. I like you what you have to too say. Much. Yeah, you you can retweet do that. so much, you just say turn retweets off for Glenn F, and then you don't see like the thirty to seventy percent of my tweets. Yes. So that's good too. No, I have other friends who will retweet like you know the hockey team like over and oh, over yeah, again. Yeah. I'm just but like, like nope, you've I lost mean, your retweeting privileges. At some point, where I think Twitter has to go is I think Twitter has to use the machine learning they're doing to be able to say like these are sports tweets and people don't want to hear about the Eagles today. Sorry, Lex Friedman. These are tweets about you know the Islanders. Hey, Michelle Catalano, that's well, your thing. Well, muting is listen. great for that too. You're like you know is even like if. 
So if someone's tweeting about football all day and then maybe they'll drop like a few tech tweets in there and like I might miss those because I muted you for the day because you would shut up about football. Like that's just, you know, that's kind of the price. I want a mute topic. They know when someone's talking about sports. That's what they use to build moments and things. Well, that's what's so so. great about the hashtags. Like I love it when like like stupid apps that auto tweet stuff, like if it has a hashtag on it, I'm like. God bless. That's great. I can mute that hashtag forever. Well, my ha- my hashtag so block long. list is so long. I love so it. Yeah, yeah every all, conference, it really every like. But but I, I want to share my strategy for following <laughs> yes. Glenn on Twitter. Tips. I have a Twitter list oh, with only Glenn in it. So he's not in my mainstream, and I can go you see the list whenever Glenn I want. Land. <laughs> so I can go get my dose of Glenn. Yeah, I, I'm uh, I'm a constant thorn in the side of people who are completists on Twitter. Well, yeah, yeah I have to follow you though because you share such great stuff and you retweet a lot of good people. Like I've picked up a lot of you know new people to follow because you've retweeted them or I've seen you talking to them. So Oddly, I actually tweet less now than I used to. I had took a yeah, break for a couple weeks and I tweet my volume. I try to tweak my days. volume down. Uh, all right. Speak, speaking of Glenn, because this is all we're going to talk about. No, I'm sorry. We're going to get to Glenn iTunes in a moment. But, uh, we, uh, this is the uh, follow-up on my wife getting her iPhone SE. <laughs> follow-up. So, Glenn, did your wife end up getting an iPhone SE? Yes, it came. Actually, what's funny is they gave us this window of like May 11th to May 17th, and then they started sending us shipping stuff. It arrived like on May 12th, overnight shipping, no extra fee. Uh, so I'm like, were they just sitting on it? Like, how do they do it so exactly? They don't, I don't know. I don't know how they're doing that. Did um, she get the pink one? She got, no, she got like the silver one, I think, uh, nice. 64 gig model. And, um, she's a case, she has a pink case for it. Thank you very much. And, uh, it's a reddish case. And, um, it was interesting transitioning her from a five iPhone five that was failing to an SE because in effect, because it's the same size. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it and, works uh, better. Yeah, it doesn't have force touch, right? It's just like, okay, we just pulled the tablecloth off the table and put a new one back on. Um, so she's delighted to not have to relearn like where her fingers go, get a new case, get new peripherals. It's just the, her same phone, only better. Oh, yeah, um, same case. That's pretty great. Yeah, and the, the restore actually works. And then Touch ID is so much cooler. Right, than... so she's turning on these, right? She's working on those things. The funny thing is, so um, a couple of days after she gets it, we're trying to make a, a phone call with her brother for uh, his birthday. And the the mic isn't, or the um, speaker isn't working on the phone, like the built-in one. Uh, speaker phone is working, but not the he- the earpiece one. And we're going back and forth. And finally, I'm like, this is weird. It's like locked in headphones mode. And I'm like, well, I know how to troubleshoot this. And I look up some information online. We try all these things, and I'm like, this can be pretty bad. I write the Mac Dime on one column. If I can't solve this, <laughs> I'm going to be humiliated. In the end, force uh, restart was the only thing that restored it. I uh, used compressed air to blow out the audio jack, put uh, you know headphone jack in and out, and a force restart solved whatever weird state it was in, and then the uh, earpiece worked again. So my reputation is solved. The other day, I'm with my nine-year-old, and uh, we're doing something on photos. He's doing some photo editing. And I say, oh, I don't think you can do that. He said, no, no, let me show you. And he shows me how to do retouching and uh, in photos. I'm like, okay, you have my job now. This is great. Nice. Uh, I'm going to hand you my column, and I'm retiring. <laughs> Thank you you can subcontract much. that thing. It was awesome. That's great. I just lo- it was one of the great be moments. Be like, clean your room, write my column. Great moment. When you're yeah, I've got this. the pink iPhone SE, and my little boy is four and a half now. He just turned four and a half officially. And he, like, you know, he likes my pink phone, but now he's just every day, like, he's really into, like, favorite everything. And every day he's like, now my favorite color is green. Now my favorite color is blue. And then every day he's like, your favorite colors are pink and purple. And he's got this like very gender normative like view of what people's favorite colors are. So. It's Kirk, how we old is- need to work on that. Your son is in his 25 now? 25, yeah. 
How did um, I know and that? Uh, My and brain. unfortunately, he was in Seattle um, last year for for a couple of weeks for work, and unfortunately, couldn't hook hook up to meet you. I this is the pro- I know my freelance life is a is a, a harsh mistress, as they say. But uh, yeah, he was. Uh, uh, it's funny we have kids across. We have the great experience of technology having kids across uh, all these different years, like an almost entire generation of uh, children here. Well, I think I'm a little bit older than you guys, Just so that bit. might explain. No, no, we're all youth. We're all ageless on a podcast. <laughs> um, so, one other thing we want to talk about before we get to iTunes, uh, which I swear, listeners, we'll get to, is uh, just a quickly. Google has released um, two new uh, iOS uh, apps, and one is iOS only, the Gboard keyboard replacement, and the other is Spaces, which is uh, iOS, Android, and web. Right now, I've used both, and um, I don't know if uh, I don't. Uh, Susie, you haven't, uh, Kurt, have you tried either of those yet? I literally just downloaded them. <laughs> I, I downloaded Spaces last night and, and I tapped on the little plus thing to create a new space and it said unable to create a space. Oh, that's good. So that's what I we just want gave up. <laughs> I, I like the idea. It's it's kind of like a mini personal Slack, right? Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. That, I think that's a great explanation. It's like, it's actually like some of the best aspects of Google Plus, some of the best aspects of Google Wave. Um, I liked Google Wave. I didn't like the editing environment as much as I liked the ability to have a shared space. And, you know, Google Wave basically ultimately became, I mean, the best part of it uh, sort of fed into Google Docs. So you could have collaborative real-time editing and commenting like you're, you know, working on a Word document together. Uh, and Spaces is, right, somewhere between like being a mini Slack and being a, it's just like an ad hoc chat room with the ability to share files, which is an images. Um, Gboard, uh, I've switched to Gboard full time. I've been using swipe S W Y P E swipe, which is one of the, um, you know, the, uh, move your finger around that spells words. And I was getting really irritated with it because it didn't seem to be getting better over time. It was getting worse. Maybe I was being too inaccurate. I switched to Gboard and instantly felt like I was much less frustrated. Um, and, uh, as Susie's noted, she let me do my crazy headline for this, which was Gboard doesn't send your keystrokes, but it does leak chicken and noodles. <laughs> Thank you very much, Susie. That was a great headline. Oh, my God. Yeah, so I tested it. I actually used packet sniffing to see whether Google's um, – I mean, you never know what happens intermittently, but uh, Google said it doesn't send keystrokes. It only sends information when you use the G button. You can press it and then do searches, and it doesn't retain those searches associated with your uh, account. And you can also purge your search history if you want. So I stuck a packet sniffer between my iOS device and had it attached to a Mac and watched. And yes, sure enough, when I was typing keystrokes – there's no data being transferred at all. Did a search and it was all encrypted Google searches, except one of the encrypted Google searches came back with a unencrypted image in response because it does little preview images. You can actually uh, insert. Um, one of the things Gboard does is gives you GIFs you can insert so you can search and find them and insert them into like Twitter or an email or whatever. And um, it was this chicken and noodles dish. Uh, didn't look that delicious, unfortunately, from uh, a Pando ex- a Panda Express. And, it looked pretty um, good when I saw it. I think I was really hungry, though. Oh, I don't. I don't. It was kind of had looked a little gelatinous on the chicken sauce there. But um, uh, from a place in Chicago, I think mm, uh, gelatinous it just, chicken. That's <laughs> that image in the clear. So I'm still waiting here. Google said they look into it, but um, that is a very minor thing. It's just passing image data back. Just a little in the clear. chicken and noodles. Just a little chicken no and noodles. Big deal. You know, just to get a couple napkins, you clean that up. 
Manja, manja. Uh, all right, so, so let's folks, take a look at that, and uh, so let's get to let's get to iTunes because Kirk, you are you're the guy who on Twitter I'm always iTunes like, guy. yeah, I'm always like uh, somebody asked me the day, and I forwarded that person to you. I, they were like, I have this problem every time I sync like everything on my iPhone, uh, all my music goes away, and then I have to, and I'm like, oh my god, I have no idea, I haven't seen this. Hey, oh, Kirk, no, Kirk will know, or he'll <laughs> no, whatever. So uh, let's talk about this this situation, the database corruption issue that ostensibly only affected a few people, including the fellow that we uh, talked about last week, who um, thought Apple Music had deleted his locally stored music. And we think it wasn't Apple Music. We think it was iTunes Match. But then now, um, maybe that database uh, situation explained it. Can you tell us a little bit about... Uh, and I also I want to um, just call out Serenity Caldwell at iMore for dogging this issue, is she was able to get people that had a similar... The, the original guy you tried to reach, Kirk... He didn't want to talk about it anymore. He's like, I'm not using Apple Music, whatever. And other people try to reach him, and he didn't really want to help troubleshoot, um, which is fine. It's not his job. It's our job to do it. Um, but Serenity was able to find uh, other people who had similar inexplicable deletions and narrowed it down enough, and then Apple confirmed there was actually a database problem. Um, so maybe you can tell us a little bit about like what circumstances were people having files deleted? Yeah, this this whole story that erupted last week, we'll call it delete gate because it has to be a gate. <laughs> um, it was this one guy who said that Apple stole his music, which that's not how you start when you're trying to explain a problem like this. Apple didn't steal anything. And he really didn't seem to know exactly what happened. And it's understandable. You, you're ignoring, you know, iTunes is essentially a database with some album artwork and all that. And you're ignoring what goes on behind it. Um. I personally disagree with a lot of the explanations that have been given, including the one that Serenity gave, talking about that unclear dialogue box. If if someone had clicked the wrong button in that dialogue box, it would still mean that they would have attempted to delete all their files. Right. And the files wouldn't be in the iTunes library anymore. They wouldn't be in the iTunes database anymore, as well as not on the disk. Um, I actually posted an article on my website um, yesterday because I got a comment from a reader who said, and I'll quote, just last night I went to delete a duplicate file by clicking on the icon and selecting to delete it. I've done this hundreds of times before. This time the delete took longer than normal, 30 to 60 seconds. My entire mm. library was in the recycle bin completely mixed up. <gasps> oh my gosh. Holy cow. Now here's what I think's happening. Because we, we add and delete files one at a time. You may download podcasts to your iTunes library, delete them after you've listened to them. I think there's a bug in iTunes that is when you're deleting a single file, one or two or three or an album, is actually deleting, if not an entire library, a lot of files. Mm -hmm. Now, this is something that's really hard to track down. You'd, you'd have to be logging activity when this happens. Right. Um, it's not Apple Music, first of all. It's not Apple Music. Apple Music did not delete the guy's files. It's not iTunes Match either. It's something going on. The, the fact that he was using Apple Music and iTunes Match, that's a red herring. It's something going on with iTunes itself. And um, I, I've heard from people over the years who would say, hey, an album disappeared, a song disappeared. Not uncommon. You could never really, I could never really figure out why. But this particular case of this guy makes me think that there's something going on. You delete one file and somehow iTunes deletes them all. Do, do you remember there was an installer, and I don't remember if it was um, an Apple installer or something else that deleted home folders if there was a space in the username? Oh, God, yeah, yeah. It goes yeah, back yeah. 10 years. Yeah, they released it for like 10 minutes or something, right? Yeah, and and I'm wondering if there's not something going on like that. 
that that only hits in some really obscure case that maybe you've got um, a high ASCII character, an emoji or something um, in a file name. That's the only thing I can think of. That's old. So that would be interesting. So it might be something that Apple is unable to reproduce because they don't have, they would need the music library of somebody in order to confirm, and you know, this guy doesn't seem to want to help Apple, which I understand. Like he's a user, he's a user, he's a designer, he's not a tech writer um, or you know programmer. Um, but I wonder if and Apple had said, and I don't know if they confirmed this on release. They said a few days ago, we've been unable to reproduce this, but we think our we think our new update will fix it, which is a fascinating little Schrodinger's box problem there. Like how yeah. do you? Uh, how do you know you'll fix it? So it maybe they uncovered a general case of database problem that they're able to root out finally of the kind you're describing, Kirk, and believe that by fixing that general case, it will fix all these specific instances, even though they can't produce the same pattern. They were yeah, like, I all think, we have think, is this U2 album, and every time we delete it, it yeah. comes back. So I don't know what the problem is. I, I think what they in. need is to find a user who has a time machine backup. Because oh, that way yeah. they can go back and get the library previously. And so one thing I, I mentioned um, in in the article I wrote for Macworld looking at this last week is make sure you have time machine backups because a, a single backup of your current files won't be keeping copies of the files that got deleted yesterday or last week. If you have a time machine backup, you've got the incremental files mm -hmm. and you can go back as far as you need, but also you'd have the time machine backup of your iTunes library file. And that's what Apple would need to try and suss out what's going on here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's a really tricky situation uh, because we're reluctant. Well, A, it's also a lot, often a lot of data. So, you know, like, yeah, are you going to send me, um, you know, uh, send Apple... 17 gigabytes of files, maybe that doesn't sound so appealing. I don't know. And it also is happening. Well, if, if they have the library file, they have the file names and that's all they really need. Oh, that's true. They could troubleshoot from that, assuming that, because it's not sure. going to be the actual, you're right, of course, it's not going to be the music file data that's the problem. It's the how the database is. No. Of course, one other possibility is that, and it's this seems to be mostly happening on Windows computers, is maybe there's some sort of a problem with Windows itself that's interacting. I, I really haven't heard anyone yet who said they were on a Mac. The, the first guy he was using, he was a Windows user, right? I think that's right. It's funny that I don't know that. I think that's correct. Yeah. So the, the person who, who gave me the info said the recycle bin. So he's a Windows user as well. Mm-hmm. But ah. I, I, I will admit that over the years working with iTunes and in several cases interacting with Apple for what I would call intractable problems, um, it's it's a black box. And I remember I had problems several years ago. I was writing an iTunes book um, and I couldn't get Genius Mixes to work. And they put me through to like every single level of engineer up to Eddie Q almost. <laughs> yeah. And finally the guy said to me, look, I want you to try something, rebuild your library. So what you do is you remove the ITL library file and you import the XML file mm -hmm. and that fixed it. Oh my now, goodness. Something in the library file was corrupted, but it took 11 levels of support to get there. So this is a very complex database. And, you know, I've seen things um, when iCloud Music Library came out and started messing up libraries. I actually spent a day looking at the database that's on iOS devices with an SQL browser. Mm -hmm. And I found a lot of interesting information, but it made me appreciate just how complex it is to sync music files to an iOS device. 
It's it's. Uh, I mean, I think iTunes' fundamental problem is complexity. Oh, I shouldn't say it's fundamental problem. One of its major problems is complexity. Uh, you know, Apple keeps cramming more stuff into it, and every time we hope that they might fix it, they just seem to figure out ways to like improve the interface a little bit. Like twelve point four. Um, what do you think about the? You know, did some minor tweaks. How do you feel about twelve point four versus a previous version? I think it's a huge improvement. Oh, God. Um, I, I think they've eliminated some of the more complicated levels of navigation. Um, if you remember, in if, if you still haven't updated to 12.4, you can look. You have several little icons at the top left of the window in the navigation bar. Then you've got several sort of text icons or text tabs in the center. And these two things interact kind of like a pivot table in Excel. And it makes it very, very confusing. So they've replaced the icons at the left with a, a menu that they call the media picker. Oh, yeah. Um, they've, they, they've basically made that all of your navigation now takes place in the sidebar. Please, Apple, don't get rid of the sidebar again. It's, it was the worst mistake they ever did was to get rid of the sidebar on yeah. iTunes. Yeah. It's hideable now, but it, yeah, it's, you can always see it in every view, which is good. It's always been hideable, and in iTunes 12 up until 12.4, you could still display a sidebar if you click the playlists button right, in right. the center navigation bar. So I always had it visible. It stays on. It stays on in every single view. Like It doesn't just disappear on you. Playlists as a button is now gone. That's what the change in 12.4, because the sidebar exactly. is just in place. That's great. Yeah, that was yeah. very confusing. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think they've simplified some of the more conceptually complicated things. Um, they've introduced a couple of problems and th there's been um, a, a fair amount of reaction pointing out some of the mistakes that they've made in the interface. For example, if you do want to hide the sidebar, there's no way you can switch between, say, artists, albums, songs, and genres right. without going to a menu. You have to go to, let's see, view... Uh, 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 where media is it? Kinds. Oh, no, you got to go to no, view. view media kind. Oh, does that only show when the sidebar is hidden? Is that it? See, I've only had one day to look at this. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, once uh, you do view, once you hide the sidebar, I, was just I can't switch my between like albums and songs and stuff. There, Well, see, and here I am embarrassed, the, the iTunes guy, and I can't remember where the thing is. Um, that, I had to explain to my son earlier. <laughs> it's, I think Apple should be embarrassed that you can't Even when that. I <laughs> open like show view options, like command J, there's nothing in there. It says no view options, but it's like, no, I'm in album view and I want to switch to songs. I guess you can't do that without the Oh, no, no, no. I know why. Okay. So here's the problem because it's contextual. Um, I was in, the, I, I, had, I had, no, I had clicked on recently added in the sidebar. Yeah. You have to click on artist or albums and then it's view sort albums. No, no. Okay, we'll figure this out, and Glenn will do a, a, a an ADR there. Where later. Where did it go? Sorry, I know I it was it there before. And then it went away. We'll do a tweet storm about it. Uh, they can't have taken <laughs> it away. I guarantee you that I was explaining to my son where this was located, and now I'm totally flummoxed. This is the thing about iTunes. My wife is an experienced user. She's been using computers for decades. She knows how to do all kinds of stuff. I mean, she's you know she's a very solidly intermediate plus user and um you know she's always like all right just show me where this is in itunes i'm like oh i'll, sh I'll find it and then like, you know i'm cocky mac guy and i go over and i'm like it's uh no it's uh, not there wait. it's not there yeah. if i click the pop-up and so you know just even connecting your phone to itunes now i notice i think 12.4 is better again isn't it because i have my iphone connected to 12.4 and there's a distinct icon now for my phone next to 
the uh, category pop-up. And I remember there was something like that before, but I think it was just another icon. So you'd have all of the, uh, you know, the music and whatever buttons and then a phone. And so it didn't seem like the thing you clicked in order to look at sync information. Uh, yeah, so that's it, better. It was, it was the same icon, but as you say, since you had those other icons next to it, it didn't stand out very much. That's it. Yeah. So right now I looked at it, I'm like, oh, that's the thing I click. So you know, I appreciate that they did that much, but I mean, I, I think most people prefer, I don't say most people, that's a, that's a gross generalization. I think the structure in iOS in which different apps have different functions is better than iTunes doing 17 different things. And uh, yeah, I've I've been arguing against this for years. Um, do you really want to have five or six or seven different apps? Do you want one app for the store, one app for your music, one app for your videos, um, one app to sync? I think that's just that's not it. No. Well, but I think there's. I, see, I don't know if it's. I don't know if you put sync in a different function. I think it's more like uh, you can hide some features behind the scenes uh, and use the apps as front ends to get things, as opposed to having to like. I think. I don't think sync should be a separate app. We don't need iSync back. I, re I remember those days. Yeah, that, that was, was a disaster. Yeah, that was useful when we had PDAs, not so much afterwards. But I think I think OS X can implicitly do more things, or it can have a uh, preference pane that would handle some of those aspects that are more that people don't have to deal with all the time. Because most of the time, you're not you know quote unquote dealing with sync, right? You're you want to play music, you want to play a movie. You want to, uh, you know, make sure the apps are local. I think a lot of stuff could be hidden. It doesn't, or not hidden. I'm sorry, that's the wrong term because people want access to it. I think a lot of the functionality could be taken out of iTunes and uh, distributed to more sensible places, um, you know, which is sort of the philosophy in iOS. So you don't need a sync app and like an, an, an iOS apps app would be horrible in OS 10, right? We don't need that. But we have an app store in OS 10. Why aren't iOS apps managed? Watch iOS, Apple TV, and OS 10 apps all managed in an app store app. And you're, that's your control panel for all your apps. And the OS 10 is the place you go to do that, not to necessarily push them to devices unless you're syncing through USB, but sort of to know where everything is, everything you own. And I don't yeah, know. Separating yeah, separating apps and me media would be a good start. Yeah. Do you guys remember Beats music had the sentence and it would be like, it's you know Wednesday and I'm driving in my car and I need pump up music. Oh. Like maybe iTunes could get like a guide <laughs> where you could open it up and they like if 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 you were just looking at it like if you knew what you wanted to do like you know go do it great but if you're just like oh man I I want to find a movie that I have on the cloud and play it on my Apple TV or whatever and it could mm -hmm. you could like tell it like um are you trying to do something like with local stuff with cloud stuff on on this device on another device and then it could kind of just streamline what you were looking at to to get you where you wanted to go. Like sometimes it's just hard to know like where to start. I, I think that's one of the problems that has made Apple Music difficult for people to use. The whole Apple Music iCloud Music Library, and I wrote about mm -hmm. this, I think it was last week. You the, the promise was that you're mixing your library with the cloud library, but that's created such confusion and so many problems with Apple Music and iCloud Music Library changing tags and artwork and overwriting files and 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 substituting files like live recordings for studio recordings. Didn't that happen to you, Susie? All your live fish tunes got replaced by studio songs? Yeah, the I had a I thought I had a live show synced to my iPhone and or I tried to sync it to my iPhone and it ended up, yeah, grabbing studio versions from the cloud, which is just, you know, especially with fish is terrible. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but Their the, albums the whole, are highly the, forgettable. I, I think Apple's long term hope is that we put everything in the cloud. And of course it's wonderful for them, but if you have two megabit um internet someplace 
then clouds don't really help you very much. And, you know, they're, sure, they're in Cupertino, they've got gigabit internet to their house, or if, you know, it's not working in, in Eddie Q's house, he drives over to Craig's house and uses his internet, but there's always someone who's got fast internet. Over here, it's not the case. I live in a, rur- I live in a barn in a rural area. Um, we have what they call fiber, which is fiber to the cabinet, so I get 38 megabits, but until last December, I had four megabits. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to be downloading movies from the cloud. I want them on my computer, so when I want to watch them, I don't have to wait four hours. I, I've always felt that Apple doesn't really understand what the cloud is for, <clears throat> which is sort of rude of me. But I felt like, like Google has a very has a uh, an overriding sensibility that the cloud is the truth. Everything resides there, and you pull stuff down to endpoints as you need it, but they could persist. Apple has uses the cloud for sync, so when it's training, so it's it uses it as a repository but it also expects stuff to be on endpoints. And as they've moved away from it being on endpoints, I don't think they've done the transition well. I mean, iCloud photo library is the top question I get at Mac 911 is people trying to understand what happens when I delete a photo, what happens? Or how do I have, they don't understand at all the fact that if you optimize, you get thumbnails, not full resolution versions or what gets managed because they can't control that management. They can't say, always keep this album on my OS 10 machine uh, at full resolution. You cannot do that. You can force an album to download and bring all the images back. But again, if you're on a low speed connection and it's 500 megabytes of images or, or a gigabyte, you want always there, you know, how often do you have to refresh that when you're working with them for a project? If you don't also want your entire, say 200 gigabyte library that you spent weeks uploading, you don't want that on your Mac. You want optimized versions of some. So I, I know I think that's where, so Apple doesn't know exactly what to replace. It doesn't know how to inform people. I feel like it needs a much better philosophy about what the cloud is and what control users have about what's cached on endpoints to make it clearer. I think the problem is that the concept of the cloud is difficult for most users to understand. Yeah, it's true. Um, it, the cloud is nothing. It's just someone else's computer. Right. But, but <laughs> it's, it's, it's what that means in relation to your stuff. And, and you're talking about um, photos. It, it's a perfect example. You You think you've got your photos on your phone. So my partner's daughter, she's about 30, and she's not a very tech-savvy person. And she had a 16-gig 5S, a 5C, and she bought extra iCloud storage thinking she'd be able to put more photos on her phone. Mm-hmm. Now, you and I and Susie, we all understand that that's just not how it works. But for average people, they're just thinking that this cloud storage expands yeah, what they have somehow magically. Right? Yeah, right, yeah. 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 I, I just yeah. had an It's a Wonderful iLife parody pop into my head. Your, your files aren't in your computer. They're in Susie's computer, in Kirk's computer. And, uh, you know, well, <laughs> you know, it's interesting because if you go back to the early days of Spotify, they actually used a peer-to-peer system for streaming. So you yeah. set the size of the cache on your, your computer and you could be streaming music to other people. And that's how they dealt with the network problems of, you know, broadband that was much slower when Spotify launched. So some of the <laughs> music good, that yeah. was in the cloud was on your computer. Yeah, this is the same thing with uh, Voodoo, uh, which launched as a set-top box. Uh, they compressed, like, they put a big drive in the thing, and they compressed the first minute or so of, like, a thousand movies and preceded it. But then they also did peer-to-peer as well as cloud-based playing. So you'd start playing a movie. It would try to start playing instantly while it was grabbing additional parts, even if you had a lo- lower-speed connection. Uh, so it would seem like it started uh, uh, without any delay, uh, if you could do it. But... Um, well, I think we have uh, deciphered enough for people this week, but there'll always be more. And um, when we learn out, when we find out more about iTunes, what it's doing, we'll we'll tell you more, folks. 
Um, so Kirk, th- Kirk, thanks for joining us this week and helping to enlighten us about uh, European payment systems and your specialty iTunes. Thanks, Glenn. It's been a pleasure. And thanks, Susie. Yeah, great talk. Great thanks to for have coming you. on. And Susie, great to talk with you again. And uh, Always a pleasure. Folks, uh, you can write us, podcast at macworld.com. You can find us on the Twitter I'm Glenn F with two N's, G-L-E-N-N-F. And, uh, you know, you may or may not want to follow me. Susie is SF, S-F-S-O-O-Z. And Kirk McElhern is, what's your handle? It's McElhern, M-C-E-L-H-E-A-R-N. There we go. See, please get early. You beat all the other McElhern's out of Twitter handles. Yeah, I wish I had gotten on Twitter early enough to get Kirk. It would be easier to spell. There's still an at Glenn unused there. Somebody posted twice and I'll never get it. Uh, And you can, of course, find us at Macworld.com, where you can leave comments on this episode. This has been the Macworld Podcast, episode 508 for May 18th, 2016. I have been, and still remain, Glenn Fleischman, and we'll be back next week.